Welcome to the Not in the Job Description podcast. I'm Scott McLaughlin. And I'm Chris Kiernan. No matter what type of job you've had, there were situations that happened to you during work that you couldn't wait to tell your friends about. We interview a variety of guests about some of their crazy stories from work, from entry-level food service industry jobs to doctors and attorneys. We will explore funny, gross, embarrassing, scary, and sometimes almost unbelievable stories that people have experienced while on the job. Keep in mind that our guests or the companies they work for may be masked in order to protect the innocent, or maybe even the guilty. On today's show, we talk to Chris, who owns a crime scene cleanup business. Welcome, Chris. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Hey, Chris. How's it going? Good. Good. Thank you very much for joining us today. Um, I've been so excited to talk to you. You have no idea. Because this is just one of those scenarios where people don't know what this business is. I mean, it's just a part of life. There's all kinds of things that happen. But I guess to start with, can you tell us about what your business is and what you do? Yes. So my wife and I own what is referred to as a crime and trauma scene decontamination company. So we're the company that people call out when there's been a crime scene, stabbing, shooting, Somebody dies of natural causes. So after the medical examiner comes out and the police release the scene, families and businesses, well, they're left, they're left with a mess. And the body's removed, but the mess is not removed. So they need a professional company to come in and remove those contaminated materials and clean the scene to make sure that it's been properly disinfected and safe for people to move forward. That's that's very interesting. Um, that's kind of how I suspected it was. But let, let me just ask this. Are, are there certain qualifications you have to have to be able to clean crime scenes and biological hazards? There are some federal standards in place. OSHA has some standards in place that, you know, if your employees are going to be exposed to, if you're going to be exposed to bloodborne pathogens, um, you have to have OSHA compliance training. Now, it's very rare that OSHA gets involved at our level of work and the kind of work that we do, but it's important to, to make sure that you have that training. If you're going to be exposed to you know hepatitis and HIV and all the other risk factors that go into this line of work, OSHA says you've got to have that training before you're exposed to it. Now, you know people have accidents and things happen at home, and a lot of people take care of their, their own stuff in their house. But as a business, we, we do have to have some OSHA compliance training. But in Texas, there's actually no regulatory authority that requires specific certifications or licensing to go do what we do. But if you're going to be competitive in this business and you know get people to invest in you and make sure that you're going to do a great job, then you've got to train your people and have them keep up with annual training every year. Yeah, that, that certainly makes sense. And you know, everything that I've read about this business, it's it's beyond just the, you know, they're trained and they know how to do the job and they can do the cleanup. But it sounds like because you're probably dealing a lot with families of victims or, you know, of, of homicide or suicide, that's, that's got to be like you have to be a little bit of a guidance counselor to them as well, or, or at the very least be able to know how to talk to families that have lost somebody. That is a that's a really big part of it. It's it's a very delicate business, as you said. You know, often we're in situations where I mean, we've 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 been in situations where there's family that just lost somebody to a shooting or suicide, and they're crying and they're muttering around the house, and you know, you're trying to talk to them to get them the help they need, and it's it's delicate. You have to be careful what you say. You've got to have compassion. So it's 
that's the very reason why we handpick our people and make that a priority as far as the personality types that we bring into our company because it is very delicate and you're dealing with people that have suffered tremendous loss. So we have to be very, very careful of how we act and make sure that we have proper etiquette and be compassionate on scene. Sure. And you brought up you have to train people and bring in a handpicked group. But I have to ask you, what's the turnover in a job like this? I mean, I, I am used to managing call centers and the turnover is atrocious, but I can only imagine you have to have the right person for this type of job. It's true. And we haven't had a whole lot of turnover. Once people get in, it's 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 a unique business because there are there are certainly pros and cons. You know, the cons are, I mean, we have odd hours. You know, we'll get, um, I'm, most of the stuff we do pretty much falls within business hours, but there's a lot of calls that we get. I mean, we get some calls in the middle of the night, you know, an apartment complex. Somebody has a shooting outside. Well, that management company, the management, they want to make sure that everything outside is cleaned up before morning, before everybody gets up and walks out and has to see it. So the hours can be challenging. That's, you know, it's, it's the nature of the business is on call. You have to go when the call comes. So that's certainly, you know, you have to, we have to prep our, our people when we bring them on board that you got to be ready. You're going to get called at odd hours. I mean, I, myself, Kelly and I, you know, we, we've had to work on odd holidays. I've missed certain holidays with my kids. I mean, not so much anymore. That's why we hired people. Right. Um, but it's, the schedule is certainly a challenge. And then of course it can be physically demanding. Sure. It's hot. You've got to be in a suit. And then of course, the biggest part of it is you've got to be able to stomach some of the things you're going to see. And even more so than see, you know, I think we're all a little desensitized. You know, I mean, we've seen a lot on TV, right? We see everything, movies, right. video games, everything. So we're, I think we're all a little used to the gore. It's the smell that'll get you. Oh man. The oh, smell yeah, is the challenge. You know, when you've had somebody that's passed away and they've, you know, they've passed away in a bed and they've been there a month oh. and all of that has, you know, they just, I mean, they melt away into the bed and you have all those fabrics, heat of the summer. I mean, it is really, really, that's the part that's really tough. So, I mean, I get applications all the time and I get people that contact us. I'd love to be a crime scene cleaner. And, and I'm telling you, it's, it's, uh, it, it can be a challenge at times, that's for sure. And you were talking about, you know, getting calls in the middle of the night and, and people, you know, your your employees. Do you have, like, set crews, like, um, maybe me and Scott work together all the time, or is it just, hey, you're on call on Monday and uh, Kim's on call on, on a Wednesday or, or something like that? How, how does that work, and how many people do you have that work for you? It's a pretty small crew. I've got about three full-time guys. That's it. I really only okay. ever need two people to do a crime scene, but I have a handful of people that I bring on for other jobs. When we get bigger jobs, um, you know, we use off-duty firefighters cause they already have the, you know, bloodborne pathogen EMT training. So I have a couple of those guys. Um, and then sometimes we do bigger hoarding projects, jobs that, you know, take a full week to clear out a house or some of those jobs I'll bring on some on-call guys. But for the crime scene stuff, I really only need a crew of of about two, three max, and I'll flip them. You know, you're on call this week if something comes up after six, and you get you know you get the next week. But it's it's really not so often, believe it or not. We don't get a whole lot of jobs in the middle of the night. Thankfully, most of it happens during the day because we do a lot of work with apartment complexes, and they really only deal with anything during office hours unless it's outside of the unit. Yeah, and that, that kind of makes sense. But, I mean, that was one of the questions I had for you. When, when you think about 
doing some kind of cleanup. Certainly an apartment complex, some business, they're going to need to have things taken care of quickly. But, you know, who are your biggest customers? I mean, do you get contacted by insurance companies or is it individuals, law enforcement, um, even government like EPA? Are there different places that contact you? Like, how do you even market your name? I can't imagine that's something that you hand a lot of cards out. <laughs> I mean, because it's such a, a situation-specific type of a scenario. It, it, you're, you're absolutely right. And it's it's not an easy... It, you can't rely on typical marketing. I mean, we can't take out a billboard for crime scene cleaning. You know what I mean? <laughs> I'd like to see so, it if you do, so let us know. I know. Listen, Facebook I've had advertising. ideas. <laughs> I've had ideas, but they're all tacky. I can't do it. Um, <laughs> no. But no, there are... We, we get a variety of calls from different places. I'll tell you probably the most amount of business that we get is through apartment association management companies. So in a, in a city like San Antonio where we are, there's four or 500 management companies and they all have, you know, five, 10, maybe more apartment complexes throughout town. So we make relationships with those regional managers and decision makers. Uh, and then every time something comes up in one of their complexes, we're the you know, we're the people they think of. We get a lot of business through apartment complexes because they stuff comes up in apartment complexes all the time. Sure. The residential calls we get through, you know, online visibility. But when a family member calls you, if, if somebody tragically needs needs us and we go out and do a, do a service for them, I mean, we're probably not, you know, we're not going to hear from that family again. It's a one-time call. Right. We, we do get some business from uh, county sheriffs. Usually it's some of the more rural areas because they don't, they don't follow some of the rules that big cities, they, they're really not supposed to suggest particular companies. Sure. They'll tell families, hey, this is the kind of service you need. Look this business up. So it really does come from a lot of places. We get a hand, you know, probably a smaller portion of our business comes from online visibility and those, those kind of uh, leads. But most of the business is through networking and relationships that we make. And Kelly and I are since we started the business, we we've gotten. She started the business really the first two years. It was all her, but she she got real involved in the apartment associations and started making those contacts, and and that's really what paid off for us the biggest. Sure, that makes sense. Between apartments, um, you know, knowing who the uh, homicide detectives are, uh, <laughs> I yep. mean, that that's the kind of stuff where yeah, that you have a service that can help some of the poor families that might be involved in that. That's that's very interesting. Now, you mentioned that your wife kind of started the business. So was it just it started growing and she needed help and you thought, hey, this is uh, going well for her. I'll quit my day job and join forces. Or was it, um, you know, how, how did that come to be, I guess? Listen, she, first of all, she's the idea person. She's fantastic. She always has great ideas. She had She had the idea to start this kind of business for years and years. Her dad is a retired firefighter. Her uncle was a firefighter. So she grew up seeing a lot and hearing a lot about those stories. And she always wondered, well, who cleans that up afterwards? And then she spent some time in the funeral industry. So finally, as we'd only been dating maybe a year. And she told me about this idea, decided she was going to go for it. So she started it. And for the first two years, she was doing all the jobs basically herself. Her dad would come help her on certain jobs where she needed an extra hand. But for the most part, she did it all up until even eight months pregnant with our firstborn. Wow. So I, that's when I kind of get, honey, can I help now, please? Yeah, hang on a second, Chris. I got to stop you. Uh, I, I understand that when women are pregnant, sometimes things like smell are like on hyperdrive. How in the world could she be involved in this kind of business? 
Uh, it, it's called a World War II giant face mask. <laughs> to make sure she doesn't. I mean, she she got the real gear. We we use half mask respirators, and if you use those correctly and get them fit tested and make sure those are on properly, it really reduces the smell. At least while you're doing the job. But of course, once you go out and take your mask off, you're going to smell everything all over you. But right. that's a big part of it. And she has. She has a super nose. She's like got to be part hound dog. I mean, I, I remember days I'd come home and I hadn't seen her in six hours and she'd tell me what I had for lunch. Did you have that catfish place again? <laughs> so she has a really sensitive nose and I was uh, definitely surprised that she handled it as long as she did with just an N95. She she definitely, when she got pregnant, she had to upgrade to the half mask respirator. Oh, yeah. I, I would I would look like... You know, one of those big bell diving helmets. You, you would be like, is, is he in here to clean up or is he going snorkeling later? Yeah, I don't, yeah, I don't think exactly. I could do it. <laughs> yeah, the smell, the smell's a big, that's a big challenge sometimes, uh, especially Texas and the Texas heat. I remember my first job I that, that I came to her with, it was in uh, Smithville, Texas. And this house was a, it was an old, it was the oldest house in town, I want to say. I mean, really old, no HVAC system, you know, pier and beam, wood. And the the guy had died and he had been in there for over a month. Oh, and it wow. was just contaminated a huge area of blood. And I'm going to get a little graphic, guys. This please is the nature do. of business. Yeah, please okay. do. Go for it. So it was literally a lake of blood and maggots. When we pulled up in front of the house and I stepped out, of the vehicle, I could smell it all the way from the curb. Well, that's the and thing we I want to ask you. Was this guy in a neighborhood, or was he out in the middle of nowhere? Because it seems like a month uh, is a little long to uh, not be found. Well, it's it's a neighborhood, but it was a small Texas town, and there were very big lots. Okay. So, you know, it wasn't right next to somebody. Um, but it, it, I mean, as soon as I got, I mean, we're probably a hundred feet from the. He's probably a hundred feet from the curb, from the street, and I could smell it as soon as I got out of the vehicle. Oh. It was rough. So yeah, it was rough. Not, you don't need to be real specific here, but I'm just curious. If somebody dies at home, how does that, I mean, unless he hurt himself, how does that turn into a pool of blood? Or is it just natural that eventually the body starts to decay? Or was there some kind of injury that caused that? If somebody dies maybe of natural causes, you mean, by themselves at home? Yeah. Yeah. So what happens is after uh, maybe 40, 24 to 48 hours, your gut has all this bacteria in it. And eventually that that bacteria starts to eat the rest of your body. Yeah. And as it eats your body, all this gas starts to build up inside. And that's where the bloating comes from. And eventually that bloating ruptures. And that's when the smell gets really, really bad. That's when the flies come from. Yeah. You know, they really, that's where they really hone in on that. And then it becomes an, a, a, a much bigger mess. Once the flies start, then... All of that gets much worse. Flies land in the contaminated area. They land on walls, windows, all over the house, and um, the maggots spread throughout the house, and it really, it really takes off from there. But the rupturing happens after a few days, and then it gets, it starts to get much worse. Yeah. So uh, I have to ask this question, and since you're being sure. graphic, you know, I think we have to do this. But you know, when when you get a call and somebody says, "Hey, I'm, either I've got somebody outside of this." property I manage that, uh, you know, half of them still on the street, or um, we have a homicide and we need you to clean it up. Like, how, how do you price these things? I mean, is it a set price? Do you have to bid on them? Is it just an hourly rate? Like, how does that work? 
We do. There, there are competitors. We do have to bid on them. Um, there are certain management companies that we have a longstanding relationship with, and they just call us and say, hey, I need you to come out and do this. But the pricing is we usually do a project price. And I think of certain things when I'm thinking about that. How long is it going to take? How much contaminated material? All the contaminated materials that are unsalvageable that we have to remove, those get cut up, removed, and put into fixed-sized biohazard disposal boxes. They get taken to a licensed facility where they're treated as medical waste and disposed of legally. I have to think about that. I have to think about what kind of surfaces are we going to clean? What might we run into? A lot of times we have to pull flooring. Well, how easy is that flooring going to pull? Are we going to run into some heavy glue? Is this a, you know, uh, plank flooring that's heavily glued? Is this tile? Uh, you know, sometimes tile, sometimes the grout has cracks, holes, perforations. You know, fluids have made its way down to the subfloor. The subfloor is difficult to clean and there's just a lot that goes into it. So I sort of have to guess, I have to guess, you know, maybe how long I think this is going to take, how much material is going to come out of it and any variables that could come up. But I usually charge a project price and then a certain amount for the biohazard containment, transport, and disposal. Okay. And have you ever come across a scene where you're like, you know, um, why don't you just uh, knock this thing down and start over? (laughs) Absolutely. Yes, that's happened many times. Yeah, I, I, I can recall... So this wasn't a, it wasn't a crime scene. I, I, I actually kind of was a crime scene. So I got a call from a, from a couple. They asked me to come out and take a look at their trailer. They were living in a double wide trailer. Very, very nice people. They had lost their son in the Iraq war, 2003. And they just let the house, you know, they got depressed and they let their house get out of control. Yeah. And they were severe hoarders, but they weren't just hoarders of trash and whatnot. I mean, they were, I mean, it was, four or five feet up all through the house. There was just a trail to be able to get around. But the part that made it particularly uh, gross was they had about 40 cats. Oh, man. I cannot, I can't even begin to tell you. I would would rather do a crime scene with a month-old dead body than deal with a cat hoarding situation. It is the worst smell. I, I, it's just, it'll knock you on your butt. They answered the door. They were holding, uh, they were holding kittens. I could see, I could see fleas jumping off of the animals onto them back and forth. In the kitchen. Horrible. In the kitchen. They did, they couldn't use their kitchen of course, because everything was trash. They couldn't access the kitchen. There were, this is not an exaggeration. Six inches of compacted cat feces all over the kitchen counter. Oh, wow. They had dead cats in the freezer. Sure. I mean, this place was so filthy, so dangerous. And this is one of the challenges of the business. You know, you meet people like this, and and my first thought is nobody should be living here. And a lot of times we struggle with, I mean, I should be calling adult protective services. Right. I should be, right. the state should come help. out. Right. These people need to be removed. But then I feel, you know, they're they're calling me for help. So it's, you know, it's a fine line. And I we ended up helping them. We put together a big project scope of work and we trashed everything out and and did the best we could to I mean, they owed they owed ninety thousand on the trailer. It was just a sad situation. Your first question Um, should have been, what does your fire insurance look like? (laughs) No, (laughs) exactly. 
believe me, we we definitely joked around about that on the in, on the sidelines. But they were the nicest people, and and we helped them, and the and the whole project went really well, and it went really smoothly. But sadly, I, I got the call again two years later. The yeah. husband had died, and she needed more help, and still had thirty five cats. It was terrible. Yeah, unfortunately, that's that's not something people just snap out of when you clean up. Usually, now when you started here, or I guess your wife maybe. How did she know exactly what cleaners would clean what, right? Because it's not like you just go down Costco and go to crime the crime scene aisle and get all the bleaches and, and stuff like that. So is it just trial and error or is there just a – I'm sure there's a whole community out there that helps with this, but how do you kind of figure some of that stuff out? Well, what she did is she found she found a professional crime and trauma scene decontamination training program online. So she found a particular guy, his particular company. There's many out there that you can find. So she found somebody that not only could she get the OSHA compliance training through, because he was a certified OSHA compliance trainer, but he had 20 years of experience doing crime and trauma scene decontamination. It was a long, extensive training program, and that's where she learned what chemicals to use, the, you know, the do's and do nots of crime scenes, what the dangers are, what the risks are. It was a very, very thorough training program. And I remember when she was taking it, I was leaning over her shoulder going, this is fascinating. This is a great idea, honey. This is so cool. So that that's where she learned a lot about what to use and how to do it. Well, I've got some, uh, some questions for you. And if there's anybody watching or listening to this in their car and they got kids in the back, if you haven't determined it already, uh, turn this thing <laughs> off immediately. So... <laughs> I'm going to ask you a question I don't think I've ever asked another human being, but I just read about this today. True or false, brain matter, if it sits out after long periods of time, hardens like concrete. True. True. That just it, freaked uh, me out. It's, it's very bizarre. And just because of the bizarre density and viscosity of it, it will, let's say somebody, let's say there's a shooting, right? And somebody you know, puts a gun to their head or has been shot and brain matter goes flying. It will slingshot around corners behind things. It'll go in strange places. That's why we have to be very meticulous and thorough because it doesn't just go where you think it's going to go. It'll go in bizarre places. And yes, when it's been there long enough, it hardens and we can't just wipe it off. We literally have to take a, we have to take a metal scraper to get it off. So it's kind of like flubber. It just kind of bounces all over the place. (laughs) I'm telling you, there's so exactly, and there's there's so many bizarre things that I've learned about the human body through this process. Another one is when somebody in a decomposition situation, like we discussed earlier, and somebody melts away, the fat in your body turns into. I mean, it's it's literally fat and turns into what they call body wax or fat wax, and it will line the floor with it. And you literally can take a scraper and scrape it up, and it looks exactly like wax like candle wax you could put a wick in it and light it it is exactly that's exactly how it is and it's very very bizarre also a little dangerous because it's slippery and it's not always it's not always red like you know blood blood is bright red it's very obvious when it's just happened but the the fat wax sometimes is clear and you don't see it and you have to be careful where you're walking I remember there was there was a there was a job we did it was on a second floor and we had to pull up all this flooring and on the the flooring truss that go in between the floors those had to be cleaned and I took a wrong step mm. and I slipped on one of those on one of those cross beams and landed right 
on my rear end on that thing and broke through the ceiling below. Oh, oh my God. It was so embarrassing. Wow. Yeah. And I was three inches from a nail that would have gone right in into my rear end. So very <laughs> dangerous situation, but sort of funny when it happened. I had the worst bruise forever, but but yeah, it's that fat wax is it's it's very slippery. It's real deal. It is actual wax. It's so bizarre. I never that is weird. I never knew I never knew anything about that before doing this business. And then when I ran across that, I was like, what is this? So very strange. By chance there's no video of that, is there? <laughs> <laughs> you know, no way. And if there was, it'd be burned. Now, you mentioned weird <laughs> things that happen to the body. Uh, I'm gonna share a story my father told me. And my father was a really morose son of a bitch. So he was a cop. And uh, he told me a story once I got to be older uh, about just the horrible senses of humor that police have because you either have to have the gallows humor and just live and work your job or you're just going to be miserable. So he's his first week being a police officer. He's down off of this area of town here and they get a call and somebody has hanged themselves off of a uh, a, a big uh, wooden beam across their apartment. And he said, you know, I'd never seen anything like this because when we got there, this lady that hanged herself, her neck looked like it was about two and a half feet long. And I, I thought that in itself was pretty bizarre. And he said, and it was a really large woman. So then I'm like, okay, well, I'm thinking to myself, how could they just hang up there? I guess maybe it's strong enough. And he said, uh, eventually, somebody comes around the corner, one of the cops with a ladder, and puts it up next to the body and hands him this great big pair of, like, scissors and says, you're the new guy. Go ahead and cut her down. Whoa. So he climbs up there, and he said he gets those scissors up over his head and just starts sawing a little bit, and out of the corner of his eyes, he sees everybody in that room take off running. He said that thing snapped the body hit the floor and exploded. Oh, wow. <laughs> he said he was standing oh, on a six-foot ladder with a giant pair of scissors in his hand. The smell enveloped him, and he said the only thing that kept him from passing out was he's going to fall on top of this thing. So, <laughs> so you know, oh, that's awful. he had to deal with all kinds of things being a police officer because they would always come across these scenes and Every now and then, they would even help the coroner, you know, get the body out of a certain spot or something. But, yeah, uh, I had many stories as a kid that kept me up. Um, you know, he didn't tell me that one until I was much older. But there was a, uh, a scenario one time where I was out. My, my father just abused me. You know, I always had to do all the grass mowing and all the snow shoveling. And one day I was out <laughs> shoveling snow, and uh, he looked outside and he said, hey, is it cold out here? And I was like, yeah, it's cold out here. I'm out here shoveling your driveway. It's cold. And he said, yeah, it must be cold because I don't know that I would resort for my body gloves to be shoveling snow in. Those are the gloves he used to pick up dead bodies. And I was out there shoveling the snow in them. Oh, no. <laughs> so, yeah, that's what uh, I had to deal with. <laughs> well, you know, I, have, I feel for um, police officers, EMT firefighters, even apartment managers and maintenance, these people you know, they have to see the bodies. We never see the bodies. Remember when we get there, the body has been removed. So we see the mess. We see, we've seen a lot of graphic stuff. I mean, I see, you know, skull fragments and teeth. I mean, I've seen a lot of crazy stuff. I've seen somebody that was there and they, their, their hand 
the skin from their hand perfectly slid off of their their bones. So it looked it literally looked like a glove. We thought it was a latex glove. Oh and wow. It was, it was the perfect hand of skin that had slid off his bones. It was crazy. That is bizarre. So I mean I mean I've seen a lot of stuff, but you know, the EMTs, the police officers, they really have to deal with a lot. Those images they see when they see those bodies, apartment managers and maintenance, you know, you got to think in apartment complexes, you know, they, they know their tenants. Sometimes they've known them for, you know, 10, 15, 20 years. And then all of a sudden they have to do a wellness check and they bust in there and they have to see somebody that they're used to seeing come in their office on a daily basis to get their mail or whatever. And they see them decomposed and looking as graphic as possible. So it's, it's a, that's a, that's something I, I certainly don't envy for those for those people in those positions. I have a lot of respect for them because they deal with a lot. So you know, I I agree. Um, having to do that job would would be really rough. Now you mentioned decomposition, and we talked a little bit about the smell. How do you get the smell out of your clothing, or do you have equipment that you take it off and get rid of it immediately so you don't carry that stuff around? Well, I mean, remember we're in we're in full suits. So if we're doing a decomp, we're in a full suit. Ideally, you would put that suit on away from the contaminated area that doesn't smell as bad. And then when you take your suit off, your clothes actually air out pretty quick. And if your clothes do smell, it's just a simple wash knocks it out. The hard part is the first time you smell that smell, it's it's a shock to the senses and you don't forget it. I remember the first time I smelled decomposition. I mean, I thought I I swear I thought it was smelling it for days. Yeah. It would not leave my nostrils. It's such a distinctive smell and then once, you know, once you smell it, you never forget it. You always recognize it when you smell it. So, but yeah, no, it, it'll wash out of clothes pretty pretty easily. So you mentioned you remember the first. Could, do you remember the weirdest scenario that you've had to come across? Mm, the weirdest or at least most memorable. Oh, I have so many others. I mean, these are that's the fascinating thing about this business. It is not an everyday job, obviously, and it's there's always an interesting story. And it's, I mean, sure, it's dark, and you know, there's a lot of sad moments, but it's not a nine to five. And I've got a lot of great pictures in my phone. You know what I'm talking about? I yeah, mean, I'm it's, sure. It's an interesting <laughs> job. It it it, it is, it, and and it's something that needs to be done. So it, it's not like it's not like you're killing these people so that you can get some business. I mean, this is a legitimate business. Of course, people yeah, have it's a necessary to have this. service. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, it's a necessary service. Yeah, I'm but no, we've certainly been in some strange situations, and um, I remember there was Kelly and I had to do one. This is one of those nights where we get a random call. It was a Friday night, and it was ten o'clock, and we had to drive out to a small town about an hour away, and it was at a house, and they they wouldn't meet us out there. They just told us how to get into the house because, of course, the family was traumatized by it, so they just sort of gave us directions. Go in the house. It was a it was a suicide. So. We get to the house, and first of all, the I mean, I don't know how to describe it. It wasn't because we were going there to do a suicide. There was just this creepy vibe in the air. I mean, everything about that neighborhood was just, we both commented on it when we got there and we drove in. I was like, this is a very dark, strange neighborhood. And she's yeah. like, I know. So we get to the house, pull in the driveway. It's a long driveway. So we, we walk down the driveway, go in the back door. As soon as we walk in the door, on the right, there's a TV just with snow on it. Remember the old snow, like poltergeist? Oh yeah. Like the station shut down for the night. 
Exactly. It's just like, yeah, the station shut down. It's just snow. And then over to the left, we see this disheveled bed with a gun laying on it. And I'm sure it wasn't the gun that was used, but it was a gun nonetheless. So it's a creepy neighborhood. Right. We got poltergeist on the TV. We got a gun in the bed. And then we go around and we see where it happened. And the guy was sitting in a rocking chair by the window, suicide, you know, contamination, blood everywhere. Yeah. And just articles of his clothing and just everything about it just made it really creepy. And I remember Kelly telling me, I'm like, this is just, this feels so different than other jobs we've done. I just, I want to get out of here. So of course I have to mess with her a little bit. I'm like, well, maybe if I was like, maybe it feels weird because the guy hasn't left you. The house yet. <laughs> He's still here. <laughs> He's watching us right now. <laughs> I know that's, you know, and uh, we have to try to keep a sense of humor in some of these situations. And obviously we're super respectful, but when we're, when we're by ourselves and nobody's around, we have to somehow keep it light. I mean, we do this all the time. We've done it for 13 years now. So we have to, Oh, we yeah. have to have a little bit of a little bit of a sense of humor. So, you know, Scott told a story about about his dad and being the new guy and having to cut the person down. Is there a particular type of scenario or biohazard that just really stinks to clean up? So you kind of leave it for the new guy, kind of like a rite of passage kind of thing. Well, I probably one of the worst things to deal with at a a crime scene or at a hoarding job is when the electricity's been off and the fridge goes bad. Oh yeah. Oh man, it's so bad. <laughs> Especially if it's somebody that's got a, you know, they're like a a prepper and they've got a giant freezer full of meat. Yeah. Oh, oh. It's it's really really awful. The new guy always gets the bad fridge, that's for sure. Or the <laughs> the toilets that, you know, we get toilets that are just unbelievable. Toilets will stop working and then people will just continue to use them until they stack up like a foot above the lid. I mean, that bad. Yeah. Well, you know, you mentioned that's not all your business is to just do crime scenes. So, you know, there are biohazard situations that happen everywhere. And I'm going to bring up something I'm sure Chris is familiar with. How about meth labs? (laughs) Well, meth lab is a very, that's a very specific scope of work protocol. It takes unique, special training. We thought about doing that at the beginning and we were going to do it and decided not to. So we don't do meth labs. That that takes a particular set of skills and there's a there's a lot of it's just a dangerous that's a dangerous yeah. line of work and we decided not to go that direction. So but meth labs obviously those come up a lot and whenever we do get the meth lab uh, meth lab call we usually you know refer them to one of our, you know, colleagues or you know other companies that we know that do that. But meth labs are that's serious business for sure. Yeah, we don't we don't mess with that. Not to mention that's probably not in the best part of town, right? I mean, you, of course, obviously, you never know where you're going to go in, in your line of work. But if you're specializing on meth labs, you do know where you're going to go to work every day. It's- no, exactly. But, you know, we do we do a lot of um, – we get a lot of calls for buildings where maybe homeless people or squatters are living. So, yeah. actually, we just, we just did one last week. We had a, a very large abandoned building where probably a dozen homeless people were living and – you know, they had all kinds of drug paraphernalia, needles, you know, they were, you know, urinating and defecating all over the place. So that was, that was a really rough scene. So we do get a lot of those kind of calls as well. Those, those can be, those can be pretty rough. Got to be very careful. The thing with the, anytime you're dealing with needles or drug users, um, they'll put needles in places you don't expect. They'll throw them in little plastic trash bags 
or, you know, styrofoam cups. And the thing is, if you're not cautious, people will start gathering up trash, throw it in a bag. And as they're walking it out, a needle pokes through the bag and sticks you in the leg. You got to be very, very cautious with needles. Those, those, those scenes are, we have to go through those very slowly and meticulously. And we, we literally dig through the trash to make sure that we, we find all the needles so that they go into a proper sharps container. So those are, those are, those are definitely dangerous situations. Yeah. That sounds awful. I mean, I, I watched the show Hoarders, and my wife and I came to watch it. And on Sunday, we can get through about an episode and a half before we both look at each other and go, "I'm going to sweep." And she's like, "Yeah, I'm going to dust." And we just can't <laughs> we we can't stand to watch that stuff. I can only imagine if it was my job to clean that up. Uh, I don't know how I would do, man. I, I'd be like, "All right, get the owners out of here," and someone uh, bring me the I don't know. Uh, bobcat, and I'm just going to push everything out the back door because that's how <laughs> I would start. level it. Yeah, that's yeah. how I'd start. No, I feel the same way. Listen, like Kelly and I, we will never be hoarders, and it's a lot due to this job. I'll tell you what, we keep we keep things nice and tidy around here. I mean, it's it's unbelievable. 13 years I've been doing this, and I still get into situations where, you know, I'm just shocked. I'm like, I can't believe anybody can live like this. I remember going to a house, and this woman answered the door in a robe, and it was another cat hoarder. There was you know, those damn cat people, of, those damn cat oh, people cats. just look out I know. for them. I know. And then you, would you believe it? I let my four-year-old daughter talk us into getting a cat. I never oh, wanted one because of those damn jobs. Pretty risky. We had, yeah. And now I you know, have 10 cats. <laughs> never, never. <laughs> but, but no, she was, this, this lady was a cat hoarder and this was a bizarre situation in general. You know, she was like this overly happy, bizarre lady. The husband was a super creeper, long ponytail with a room with a chair. He was a hoarder and had a chair in front of a computer when nothing but porn movies around. Oh, God. It was so gross. Yeah. So she comes to the door and answers. There's about, you know, probably three inches of cat feces all over the floor. And she comes to the door, no joke, in flip flops oh. with it all over, all over her feet. That is Unbelievable. so gross. So, I don't know how people can live like that. We we do we do get a lot of hoarding work. That's that's another big part of our business. I mean, crime scene cleaning is is kind of the meat and potatoes of our business, but we get a lot of hoarding don't jobs. Don't say meat. And I know why did I use that word? I listen right after I said it, I was like, that's not the word to use for this. It's really not. So that, that that brings me to my next point for you, though. I mean, you're talking about you know horrible accidents that disfigured some poor person and left parts of their body all around, or you know somebody who hasn't cleaned their house in ten years and has fifty cats. Is there a point where you just uh, get a call and you check out the situation and say we're going to give this old pass? Not usually. If I if if something looks that horrible. Where I'm like, oh my gosh, this is going to be a nightmare. I just, I mean, I'm just going to, I'm just going to charge more for that. You know what I mean? If it's a <laughs> sure. nightmare, I'm yeah. just going to charge more. And listen, if they really, if it's, if they really want to get it done, then you know, they'll, but, but I mean, I, I have to charge accordingly. If it's a nightmare and it's that bad to where I'm almost not wanting to take it, I'm going to charge accordingly. Yeah, right. I mean, that's what I have to do. But it's very rare that I would uh, turn a job down unless it's something. If I think that it's too complicated and beyond the scope of what we can handle with our small company and staff, then then I would do that. But I, I'm trying to think of an instance where that's come up and I haven't had it yet. I mean, we've had a lot of bizarre jobs. We've had we've had uh, industrial accidents. I've had somebody who you know died in an elevator shaft Ooh. that we had to clean. That was a rough one. I've had one where there was a 
an industrial plant where this guy was working with a, they had some, I forget what the product they were doing. They were grinding something up like lime or something like that. Okay. And there's a big grinder on the top of this, you know, apparatus machine, whatever. And the grinder spins and grinds all this stuff up and it got stuck. And he's taken a, he's taken this long metal rod and he's trying to unclog, you know, un yeah. unjam this big grinder and he didn't turn off the machine, you know, disregarded every safety protocol <laughs> there is tried to do that. Well, the grinder caught this metal rod and in an instant it wrapped around his hand and ripped oh. his arm off at the shoulder. Oh man. That now that's the first time that we ever got called out to a job where we had to actually remove an intact body part. His arm was wrapped. This big construction guy's arm was wrapped around this grinder. Oh man. And we had to peel it off and unwrap it off of this grinder and then decontaminate the area. That's right. And that was a really, that was a rough situation. But the bizarre thing about it is, you know, we were working with OSHA on this and it was a big complicated job. And we thought, well, you know, we should, we, we need to call the family. I mean, what I, maybe they want, you know, and yeah. this guy wasn't dead. He was in the hospital. We need to find yeah. out, does he want his arm? Does he want to bury it? Hey, let me tell you, your arm's been with you your whole life. You guys have been through a lot together. Right. You know what I'm saying? He might want his <laughs> maybe arm. Maybe it is right arm or his left arm. <laughs> yeah. And maybe he, there's a ring on there he'd like to, you know, give to a family member at some e- point. Exactly. Well, here's the, here's the kind of funny thing. He had a glove on and we thought, well, let's take his glove off, see if there's any jewelry we need to get back to the family. We take his glove off. Guy's missing a finger. Oh, this guy never learns. <laughs> this guy never learns. Unbelievable. Yeah, I mean, you can't save some people from themselves, obviously. No, no. But we called the family and we said, you know, what do you, what would you like us to <laughs> they do? Said, nah, they said, nah, keep it. No, they said, get rid of it. Oh, uh, yeah, okay. So, but let me tell you, super bizarre taking this giant arm and putting it in the bio box. And it's just a strange notion that you're driving down the road with some guy's giant yeah. arm in a box. <laughs> oh, no. And then no. it was late. I don't know if it was I was too do late well. to go to the facility. So, this big arm is sitting in a box in my driveway until the next day when I can take it to the facility. It was just so bizarre. That's funny. <laughs> All right. I do have another weird scenario for you. And bring it. You guys are going to start to think that I'm I'm a little too creative in some of my questions, but uh, have you ever been called to a scene where you get there and there's clearly, you know, there, there's there been somebody who's died and you get the idea that maybe the police haven't been called first? Like, is it possible that you guys have uh, helped clean up a crime scene and you didn't realize that this wasn't already established as a crime scene? Like, Maybe some gangsters killed some people and they were like, eh, we shouldn't have done that in their living room. Can you come and clean this up? That is entirely possible. I have absolutely had that thought. There have There's certainly been a couple of jobs we've done in bizarre areas. And that's the thing is, I, you know, I they're the client. They call me and I just assume that it's been released and everything's been handled on the up and up. Here's how much it's going to, you know, here's the situation. What would it cost to get this properly decontaminated? And I give them a cost and a scope and work to do it. There's no, I don't have any particular responsibility to make sure it's been called in. Maybe I should, but. <laughs> yeah. But I, yeah. Or, I mean, or this is a new area of business for you. You're welcome. <laughs> uh, I'll take credit yeah. for it, but you go ahead and clean up literally and figuratively. Yeah. I don't need to be tied in with a mob. I'm not going that route. <laughs> that's for sure. You're known as the cleaner to the mob people. Yeah, exactly. I don't want that. I don't want that gig. <laughs> that's for sure. No, there's definitely been some situations where. This doesn't, this doesn't feel right. I wonder what happened here. Or other situations where 
the police have settled it one way and we suspect another. I, I, there's been situations where it was called a suicide. Yeah. And there is blood all over the place in a way that looks, yeah. you know, to, this person to look stabbed like themselves 12 times suicide. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So there, there's certainly those situations. And there's other situations where we find evidence. We found That's what I was going to ask you. Yeah. Do, you. do you find evidence oh, yeah. after it's already been taken care of from the crime scene people? Yep. Yep. Police have released, released the scene. And then all of a sudden we find a bullet. And of course we have to leave that alone, call the police, let them know, Hey, there's, we found a bullet. They say, set it aside. We'll come look at it. We'll come get it. There's a lot of instances where also we do crime scenes where the police leave all the drugs and guns in the unit. Oh yeah. That kind of makes sense. I'm like, which is shocking to me. I'm like, why would you leave? You know, there's, drugs all over the counter isn't that like aren't they supposed to confiscate that and trash it but we end you know up just- depending on who you're talking to they 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 can't just remove things unless they have a search warrant so that's it, a good point i guess so if yeah. it's after a certain time of night and they're not going to wake up a judge for a dead person i imagine they're just like oh we'll do it later probably so yeah i always wonder that like why is this still here <laughs> In case you haven't noticed, Scott has put a lot of thought into things like crime it's, and things Scott's like that, right? Scott's got some good right? questions. <laughs> Scott's on it. I'm liking the weird questions. It's good. So uh, in doing some research for this topic, um, they were talking about how, as Chris mentioned earlier, my co-host here, you didn't just run down to Walmart and go to the shopping aisle to uh, get some cleaning supplies. But they said, if you ever want to start opening a business like this, I'm going to go through a few things that you'll need. You tell me if you have them. Ozone machine. Yes, but I am not. We bought it when we started, but I'm not a proponent of it because it's got mixed reviews on how effective it is. Also, health impacts. And honestly, you can do whatever you want to do to the smell in the room. If you haven't properly removed the source, it's just going to come back after the treatment after the treatment dissipates. So, that makes sense. This says ozone that. machine to remove odors, but the point is really made. If you've left stuff there, it's just a matter of time. It's going to keep stinking. If there's source material still there, it's still going to smell. So we've got great odor treatments, but I never use the ozone machine to really do it right. You've got to seal the windows, seal the doors, and just okay. fog the place. And it's 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 a pretty invo- – I mean, people have little ozone machines, but they don't do any good. How about a fogger? We've got some serious foggers. We oh, definitely yeah. have some serious foggers. That makes sense. So that that yeah. will uh, get into tight places like air ducts and just odor removal in general. How about va- yeah. vapor steam cleaners for hard to reach places? Va- that's not one I've used. Okay, no. vapor steam cleaners. I don't use that one. Nope. Uh, long scrubbing brushes and wet vacuums to clean up blood coated surfaces. Yes, uh, the wet vacs. I'm sort of on the other side of that one. That so. Wet vacs, when you use them, especially in a in a situation where it's a decomp and the body fluids have such pungent odor, you're never going to get the smell out of the wet vac, and it's difficult to clean. So I am more of a proponent of using uh, towels, paper towels, um, microfiber towels, and we sort of get it up that way. Now I will use I use a HEPA filtration vacuum to get dried blood. Blood does this bizarre thing that it dries and becomes really, really flaky, where if it gets a gust of wind, it just turns into dust and goes everywhere. Okay. So you want to be very delicate with that, and we use a HEPA filtration vacuum for that. But I don't use the wet vac very often. I have one, I just don't use it. All right. Uh, How about hospital-grade disinfectants? I think that's a given, right? 
Oh, yeah. Yeah, we have the best disinfectants. Enzyme solvents to kill bacteria and viruses and liquefy dried blood. Once we remove blood and body fluids from the surface, we can go straight to disinfectant. The I mean, we'll, we'll use enzymatic digesters when we're trying to go next level with some odor treatment, sometimes on slabs and concretes, surfaces that are porous that we really can't get to the bottom of because you can only do so much from the surface of concrete. So the enzymatic digester, yes, we keep some on hand and we use it for certain circumstances. Sure. All right. Uh, Putty knives and razor blades to scrape up materials and cut out contaminated sections of carpeting. All day long. Absolutely. Tons of them. I thought it was interesting. They said, um, Hammers, sledgehammers, saws, and paintbrushes. Okay, that's true. All of that is true. So there are many instances where we have to demo subfloor. You know, second floor in houses, usually plywood. If 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 some you know somebody's been there a while, it's gonna get to the plywood. And once it's soaked into the plywood, it's gonna compromise the structural integrity, it's gonna continue to smell. So that plywood has to be cut out. Or in the case of apartment complexes, we have lightweight concrete, and it's very porous, and yeah. fluids can get into that. So we'll have to use a roto hammer or hammers, wedges to get some of that subfloor out when necessary, or to get into walls, you know, sheetrock and and stuff like that. So I'll tell you one quick story. So we had a second floor second floor apartment. The guy died. He was there a month, and the way that the apartment complex found out that he was dead is because the fluids had gone through the floor, yeah. through the subfloor, and were dripping into the guy's bathroom below. Oh, man. He had a bucket sitting under his <laughs> AC vent in the bathroom. This poor guy that's living there, all of a sudden he's got death sauce dripping down through the ceiling. wonder what the bucket. hell that guy thought it was. I'm sure when he smelled it, he had to put two and two together. I, w- I would hope, I would think. But yeah, I mean, I'm sure the you're you, you're probably right. The first couple of drops, he's like, "What is that?" I wonder. If, ugh, I wonder if he touched well, it. T- time out on that. Did you call it death sauce? <laughs> it slipped out of me. I'm sorry. That's a tacky term. That hey, it's just a term. A it's just a term that they use, you know, in the business. You, you don't it's, know these yeah. things. You've yeah, given me a probably, lot of prob- potential band names today. Prob- <laughs> Hand of skin, death sauce. I can't wait. Sorry. <laughs> We've got some good metal, metal band names going here for sure. I think so, yeah. I think so. <laughs> yeah. All right, Chris. Um, easiest job that you get, switching gears. I have to ask that one. What's the easiest job where someone calls you and you're like, oh, done and done? Probably when somebody has a little bit of blood on some carpet. You just cut the carpet pad, carpet and pad out, disinfect, done deal. It takes 15 minutes. Those are real easy. Or obviously a little bit of fresh blood on tile. Super easy. Those are those are no brainers. We also do. I mean, when the pandemic started, we started doing COVID disinfections. Oh, we wow. were doing COVID disinfections all over the state. Actually, that that was. I mean, those aren't difficult. Yeah. Uh, the, you know, we're just going in and you know fogging all the exposed surfaces, wiping down common touch points. But you've got to have the proper gear, proper equipment, proper disinfectant for that. Those are pretty easy jobs. Um, but yeah, a little bit of blood on carpet, no sweat. That's easy stuff. So I would be doing my wife a disservice if I didn't ask this question. What's the best way to get the mildew off of the grout and the and the caulking in our bathroom? Because she scrubs and scrubs, and it's still there. <laughs> yeah, I don't know about that one. I mean, I... I, I you ain't cleaning you know, up mildew, Chris. Well, I, hey, at least yeah. I can tell her I asked a professional. That's 
I don't know what else to do. Well, no, we do. We actually do mold remediation, but nobody ever calls me to get, can you scrub <laughs> the mildew out of this tile? It's usually like, hey, this entire wall's bad. Can you remove it? Yeah. So no, the mildew, but they have, you can go to janitorial places like Cleaning Ideas and get yourself an, um, you know, an antimicrobial and just spray it down and that'll at least kill whatever's on there and then scrub it. I'd kill it first. Yeah. We've tried about everything. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> How's your fire insurance? Never mind. Um, so, so I asked you about the easiest job. In hindsight, what's the toughest job you've had? All right. I would say the toughest job that we get is when you find a massive hoarding situation where somebody has also died and decomposed on top of. Ooh. I'm sure there's so cats involved in a lot happened. of those as well. Oh, don't add to my nightmare. That has not <laughs> happened yet. It hasn't happened yet where I've had hoarding, decomp, and cats. God help me. I hope that I hope happen, I did not just speak that into existence. You'd better not have jinxed me into a phone call tomorrow. So <laughs> No, it that that actually just happened a couple weeks ago. We had a a really bad hoarding unit and the gentleman passed away on top of the hoard. It mm. took us half a day to clear out enough stuff just to reach the contaminated area. So it went all the way through the trash and then uh, spread on the floor. That makes and sense. That was, that was rough. And then the other one that we run across that we haven't touched on in this conversation yet tonight is we do a lot of jobs where the roaches are so bad that pest control won't go near it until it's been cleared out. Oh, I would so treat that with a flamethrower, man. I'm sorry. Listen, and if you want to, I'm willing to do it. I have an amazing video that will make your skin crawl, and I'll send it to you guys if you want it. Oh, I'm so impressed. Uh, yeah, I've got a great video, but this, I've never seen anything like this. It was a hoarding unit. The trash was probably, you know, a couple, two, three feet up. Bottles, food trash. But there were roaches. I mean, you couldn't. Not three inches on the wall didn't have a roach on it. Crawling alive all over the walls, collecting on the door frames. When you pan, the camera pans down and looks at the trash. There's just roaches writhing through the, just oh. all over the trash. I have, it's the most roaches I've ever seen in my life. And I got to give my team credit. They went in there and knocked that out. They trashed it all. They, of course, wow. they had suits on all the way to their lips, but they were completely covered. But they, uh, they did a great job. They trashed it you out. Know, it was, uh, I've never seen anything like that. With that many roaches, if you'd have just let it go a couple of weeks, uh, maybe they'd just eaten everything. <laughs> maybe they just <laughs> cleared it out for me. Yeah, you know? Yeah. It's an well, idea. You know, I feel bad for the people next door. Like, people that are living like that, especially in an apartment, you've just wrecked the whole building. Oh, yeah. as soon as that gets cleared out, those roaches are going to go into neighboring units. It's such a nightmare Yeah, for for, pro- for property management companies. That and bed bugs. Bed bugs are awful situation to deal with. Listen, too. we've had people on here who, uh, some friends of mine, who, who've bought multi-unit places. And when they were buying them, I would make the comment to my wife, like, wow, those guys got their shit together, man. They're buying like this unit. It's got eight units to it. Every single person I know who's done that regretted it. The people who rent end up treating the place like crap. And next thing you know, they either have, uh, you know, a bunch of mice or they have roaches, you know, thicker than shag carpet all over the place. I would never be a landlord. Oh, yeah. Yeah. No, we just we just went through that. Kelly and I had a couple of rentals and one of the rentals that we just sold recently 
rented it out for two years. They paid on time, which is great. But then when we went to go take it back after they had moved out, they totally trashed the place. Ugh. They had emptied their fridge. Get this. They took a baby, like a kid's playpen, and they put it by the street with all of the food trash in their fridge and freezer. Oh, my god! They had rotten, raw chicken. It was 105 degrees. <sighs> it was unbelievable. It was so... I literally had to call my crime scene cleaning team in to clean our damn rental. It was that bad. To clean up garbage out in front of the house. Yeah. Yeah, it was terrible. Did you get the employee discount? (laughs) You know it. You know it. Well, um, again, thank you very much, Chris, for talking to us today. This is the part of the podcast where I ask my co-host, Chris, what did we learn today? Yeah, I learned that fat wax is very slippery. It is, and it makes a hell of a candle. That's true. Indeed. Um, Today, I learned that if I should, I don't know, accidentally kill somebody, all I got to do is get rid of the body, and I can call Chris, and he'll clean the place up, no questions asked. (laughs) I got you. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you again very much, Chris. This is Scott McLaughlin. I'm Chris Kiernan. Saying, we'll We'll see see you at work. Thank you for listening to the Not in the Job Description podcast. If you have a story you'd like to share, if you'd like to be a guest on our podcast, please let us know by sending us an email with a brief description of your story to stories at notinajob.com.